Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. Welcome back to the A-10's number one podcast, Talking Out Loud. We are coming to you live five days until Dayton Flyers season begins, playing God's honest, meaningful basketball games on Edwin C. Moses Boulevard in Dayton, Ohio. It's a pleasure to have you. I go by Sully here on Talking Out Loud, and I have Drew alongside me for the final preseason episode tonight to get you ready for the Flyers' first content uh, contest. Rather, Drew, are you fired up for Flyers basketball? I am fired up for Flyers basketball. Sully, thank you so much for having me on the program here tonight. Uh, really looking forward to getting back to the arena and watching the ball get tipped. Enjoy to have my sidekick. As always, we got a full hour coming at you tonight. Kai from Three Man Weave joins us to round out our preseason coverage. And um, boy, it's always great to finally get to the end of the road with preseason coverage because uh, I've been doing my um tbt series in the summer now for three years uh, i do the countdown on twitter which i've been doing for 49 days highlighting different dayton flyers starting with sean finn when there's 40 54 days left rather and um you know when you get close to the season every year there's just there's a little bit more hype around uh night one and then you kind of settle in drew right because like the month of December, you probably have one or two big games. I think this season, no different. We have two big games in December. Um, and, you know, you got to settle into the season a little bit because there's going to be some clunkers. There's going to be some shitty bye games. But um, I think night one, week one, there's just a special buzz around that every year. And especially this year uh, with so much hype that the Flyers have, right? That's absolutely right. Uh, the hype is real. The team's confidence in themselves seems real. These seems like a very confident bunch, and I kind of like that. Uh, but you're right. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing quite like walking into the arena for the first game of the year. Haven't been there in months. You know, I've driven home to Sydney, Ohio. I've passed the arena many a times uh, since the conclusion of last season, and all I've said to it was, I'll "Be home soon." And you know what? I'm back home on Monday, fired up about it. That's right. That's right. I am fired up about it too. I will be back. Uh, and we will be back uh, in town on Friday, November 11th for a live show at Timothy's Bar and Grill. And special announcement to start the show tonight. We are going to be back on ESPN Radio Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. Uh, so you can always listen to the podcast on demand. But we will be in radio format moving forward. And for every week of the season, every Wednesday night on 1410 ESPN Radio in Dayton and iHeartRadio if you are out of the area, which I have to imagine many of you are so. I want to start the show tonight uh, looking back and remembering as a Dayton Flyers collective. We have many uh, players that we've remembered through the program. Uh, we remember guys quite often. We're, we're very good at remembering guys, but um, we're, all, we're better at remembering our own and uh, and the players that we've lost too soon, it's happened a couple of times in this program. Sadly, I don't uh, say a couple uh, lightly. It quite literally has happened twice where active members of the Dayton roster have passed away. And so today on Twitter, with five days to go into the Dayton season, uh, I have made it an annual tradition to remember uh, big number five. That's big Steve McIlvain, who passed away um, while on the active roster, the Dayton Flyers, that was back in 2017, 2016, 2017, 2016. God, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long already. Um, and I, I think it's always a, a good time to remember him. Um, I think, 
you know, when, unfortunately, when Big Steve's name comes up, uh, you have to remember Chris Daniels as well, passed away while on the Flyers active roster in the mid nineties. I believe that was 95 when Chris Daniels passed away. Um, You know, it's, it's such a, a crazy um, it was February, 1996. I, I had to go fact check myself there, but, um, it's insane to me that 20 years apart, there were two players on the active roster of the Dayton Flyers that passed away. It's an unimaginable tragic event that has happened twice to this program. And, you know, without, you know, being overly negative to start the show. I think it's always just important to remember those guys um, and, and the guys that were taken from us too soon, always flyers, uh, you know, in, in our hearts. And, uh, and so that's why I want to start the show tonight, Drew. Um, you know, not that I have to come on here and say anything necessarily profound, but there's never a bad time to remember the, the legacies of Chris Daniels and Steve McElvain on this program. Nope. And, you know, I was in school when Steve was in school. He was a year younger than me. Um, Saw him all the time. You know, it was impossible to miss him on those Saturday afternoons where they were lucky enough to, you know, be out amongst the the rest of the community, as the university would like to say. Um, He was just a joy to be around. He talked to everybody. He took every picture. Um, The one the one story I have of Steve is one Saturday, beautiful Saturday afternoon. Uh, I had a nice cold natural light in my hand and I saw Steve probably, I don't know, about 30, 35 yards away. And I just yell, Steve catch. And I unleash a prime Peyton Manning, just dart right at him. And he just grabbed this thing one handed, no problem, opened it up, guzzled it down. Uh, uh, One of the true like marquee memories I have of being in school at the university of Dayton. uh, That was just, I remember seeing that and being blown away and, uh, when I found out about it, uh, I was, you know, absolutely gutted because, you know, not only did we lose a spectacularly talented basketball player in Steve, but we also lost a spectacular human being. And it always stinks when you have to preface, you know, these people that leave us far too soon, um, that they were a great person and they were a great individual. But Steve was was every bit of that. And, uh, you know, the whole program and fan base misses them every day. Indeed, we do, and uh, it's it's hard to believe even that it's been six and a half years since we uh, we lost Big Steve. But uh, an apt place to start the program today because we always have to remember where we've come from uh, to fully appreciate where we're headed going forward. And um, you know, guys like Steve were integral parts of the program, and uh, you know, we were just we were robbed of seeing him play three more years in the red and white um, due to his his death in 2016. So remembering Steve McIlvain to start the program today. Um, as we move forward on for the show tonight, again, we got Kai from Three Man Weave joining us to talk some Dayton Flyers hoops. He did the preview for the Almanac, which you can buy on the Field of 68 Network or at threemanweave.com, which we will reference a couple more times in the program if you are so inclined. Uh, but I wanted to, to shift uh, the focus tonight to the new NIL collective uh, that Dayton has been putting out and not necessarily that I have a bone to pick with this NIL collective. I can certainly understand and appreciate that this is where the college landscape is going. Um, And I certainly understand and appreciate that Dayton is, uh, as we said last week, keeping up with the Joneses or keeping pace in the arms race of getting funds, facilities, and financial backing that is going to go to college athletes. But in that same breath, I do have a bit of a problem with the way that Dayton has rolled out and marketed the NIL collective. And this isn't really a reflection on any one person that put it together, but more of uh, how they have marketed it outwards at the forefront. And what I mean by that is uh, 13,500 people fill Dayton Arena every night and every game is sold out preseason this year. That is a fact. Every seat is paid for for every single game in UD Arena this season. I can count on one hand the amount of programs that have that kind of support. Um, Now, there are bigger fan bases. There are fan bases that sell more tickets on a nightly basis, but there are very few that sell out every single seat in the arena in the preseason. So that goes to show that the support, and we talk about it a lot on this program here, the support is, uh, is, is, it's a top-notch um, support fan base. You know, we have all of the backing that we need here to be successful in Dayton, both financially um, and you know just from sheer numbers, the amount of butts that get into seats every night. 
And so I do have kind of a problem with the way that the NIL has been marketed to, hey, the everyman can now donate to this NIL collective that then gets paid out to athletes. I can assure you, fair listener, there are plenty of people behind the scenes that have checkbooks that can afford to write fairly large checks from those checkbooks to support Dayton in anything that they need, facilities, recruiting, NIL sponsorships, etc. I can assure you there is plenty of money to go around and to go into that collective and go out to the players and those that need it to stay within the Dayton program and produce a better on the court product. But I do not believe for one second that you, average fan, need to be a part of that effort to donate funds. If you are a lower bowl season ticket holder at the University of Dayton, it stands to reason you have spent thousands upon thousands of dollars giving to the arena and the athletic department up to this point in our lives. And so I do find it a little bit off-putting to keep asking fans to donate money into different causes so that they can go to ultimately the same end goal. So tonight, Drew, I... um, Not that I was looking for you to agree or disagree because I'm blindsiding you with this topic tonight to start the show, but I just found myself being rubbed the wrong way consistently by the marketing that uh, they have gone out and said, hey, every fan, you can go now to Dayton6.com and donate money and make sure that our NIL collective is full. I promise you people, there are a lot of people behind the scenes that are going to make sure that NIL collective is full. Do not waste those hard-earned dollars if you can't afford it putting your hat into that ring. We're going to be fine here at Dayton. The people that can open those checkbooks will continue to do so. And this program will be well-funded for the foreseeable future. Drew, anything to add on that? Yeah, you know, it. I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, obviously, Feel free not to disagree. Everybody, We're all about not everybody. Not everybody is in a position to give. And Correct. obviously, that, that is, that's the bottom line of it all. But what I will say, as just, you know, kind of a devil's advocate here, Please. If if you if you really want to feel like you're part of the program and you do I'm not going to tell you not to that way. Right, it's your money. At the end of the day, this is your money and it's your decision to make, not mine, not Sully's, not anyone else's. So if you want to feel that way and you you feel like you're a part, like a direct part of the program, I'm not going to be the one to tell you no. I will tell you that I am not going to be one of those people because Sully's right. There are plenty of people that are connected to this program that have way bigger bank accounts and way more money to throw around than you, I, or Joe, or Kevin, or Sarah do. And you're, making, you're making names up. You're not referring to people. I, I'm not referring names. to anybody. Just, making, <laughs> just throwing names up. If your name's there. Joe but, or Sarah listening to this yeah. podcast, we're sorry. We're not referring Whatever. to you. Anyway, back to the point. I just, my thing is, is I agree with what you're saying, though, is that it does feel a little vulture-ish in a way. And, you know, don't feel like you're necessitated to make that decision. Now, if you want to make it, make it, but don't feel like you're like, Oh, well, everyone else is going to be doing this. So I need to do it. Don't, don't think that way. Think for yourself and do with your money, what you want to do. That's right. If I told you to go jump off a bridge, you wouldn't do it people. Okay. So live your lives and spend your money the way that you would like to do it. But my personal opinion is if you're a season ticket holder, you give your money and your time and effort to go see these boys play and that's what you can afford, then I think that that is plenty enough and you should not feel obligated to give more dollars and cents to this program because I myself do give a lot of dollars and cents to the program, donate to the university every year, pay my season ticket costs, I go to the games, I pay for beers, which of course the university profits. Everybody's happy. It's a nice little circle. So if I need, if UD is asking me to add another way where I can inject revenue into the program, I'm good. That's all I'm saying is I'm good. And if you're out there right now and you agree with me, that's great. If you're out there right now and you're saying, well, Sully, I don't give a rat's ass with you. I have to say, I'm going to plop more money into this pool and keep giving Dayton my money. You go right ahead and do that too. Because you know what? They're going to keep taking it. So you can give it yep, to They're them. not going to say no. They ain't going to say no. They've never turned away a dollar at the University of Dayton and they ain't going to start now. All right, I guess transitioning to the on the court product, which again, almost, almost here, five days away, Monday, November 7th, Lindenwood. Then we have uh, Friday, November 11th, SMU. Pre-game show starts at Tim's 5 o'clock. Be there if you're listening and you're going to be in town. Come on, join us. It'll be a great happy hour on a Friday, getting tuned up before the Dayton game, taking on the SMU Mustangs at 7. Um, but Drew, you know, a couple things to, to just get out of the way here. But as uh, the season approaches, you know, we won't belabor the results of the exhibition game. A couple guys sat out. Um, pretty much to be expected. The scoring was balanced. 
good ball movement. Dayton kind of played their game, dictated the pace. You know, they ran the sets that they wanted to run and Capital was just kind of present on the court. And that's really all the exhibition needs to be is that there's another team present. They're looking you in the eye, but realistically, they're just running a practice against a team that hasn't seen them practice yet. So without belaboring the uh, results of the exhibition, I, I think the two things that need to be brought up uh, first and foremost is that there is, number one, a lot of hype around the state and team. And we've said from the jump that there's no underdog card to be played. There's no youth card to be played. Um, and there's no second chances this year. If you lose a game, it's a bed share and you shouldn't have lost, then it's going to be it's going to be articulated as such. Um, it won't be an excuses thing. And, you know, with Malachi Smith being out injured, second point I'm going to get to, um, it's really not an excuse for this year. You know, injuries happen, but they're going to have to figure out ways to persevere and, and get the job done. But uh, Dayton's 24th in the country to start the year. Uh, and Ken Palm in the AP rankings, they have a number right next to their name and they'll have a target on their back from night one. And so I think that's the most important part of the season is I don't think for a second that this team is going to overlook by game opponents um, just because of what happened last year. Uh, you're not going to convince me that this group of guys is not going to take every game as seriously as possible, but they're going to have to manage those expectations. They're going to have to block out a lot of the noise because uh, just like when you're losing, there's a lot of crowd noise about how much you stink. It almost is as detrimental, even more so, if you start winning some games and everybody hypes you up beyond the point um, or, or beyond where you actually are on the court and you, again, start to overlook maybe games that you shouldn't. Now, those might not be by games. Maybe that's at Virginia Tech. Maybe they come home from Thanksgiving undefeated and um, they, you know, they think they can roll over anybody. I think that the hype conversation can sometimes be as detrimental uh, to a team as the negativity. What say you, Drew? So with this year's team, I think they're in an interesting position where we do have this preseason hype. But when I hear team and players and coaches talk and they're like, we don't pay any attention to that stuff. You know, we're just taking That's it one bullshit. day at a time, all that. I, I, I would hate that if we were as hyped as we were and our players and coaches were saying that, but they're not. They're a, they're a confident bunch. They have a lot of hype to them, but they believe they're as good as they're being hyped up to be. Yep. And they need to play with that edge every night. There's, it's a fine line between like confidence and cockiness. You know, that's a very cliche line, but I think they're, we're right on that confidence level with this team where they're good. They know it and they're going to go out and they're going to show it. And absolutely though, that's kind of why I feel really good going into this season. And I think the buy game experiences from last year and being the first team left out of the tournament. And look, we can, we can discuss the merits of, of whether we were or not truly, Till the end to the end of days. But the bottom line is when you look at when you read articles, when you listen to podcasts, people always will attach to Dayton. They were the first team left out of the tournament last year. That would Correct. make me mad if I played for the Dayton basketball team. I can't Correct. speak for I can't speak for the guys that are on the squad, but I gotta feel like they feel the same way that I do. So I think they're gonna come out with an edge. And you know, we always talk about how the opening game is always kind of nervous. We never play well for it. I've got a just a hunch feeling that we're gonna come out, we're gonna play really well. And we're going to roll that momentum into Friday and it's going to be a big tilt against SMU. And that's where you can really send your first message to the rest of the country, the rest of the conference that, Hey, we're good. And we know it. And we're coming. I think my early season prediction for everybody is that Dayton's going to cover a lot of spreads in the early season. Um, because I think they're going to be lower than they need to be. Uh, of course, those lines will regulate probably by the end of Thanksgiving. But these first couple of games, I have a feeling Dayton's going to cover some spreads. That's just that's just where I'm at. And for for the simple reason that you just outlined, Drew, is that they're not going to overlook teams. And when I think when, when they have a team down, I think they realize the value now of putting them away. And they didn't have that last year. Um, that killer instinct we've talked about year in, year out. Some Dayton teams have had it. Some haven't. And uh, the 2020 team, especially like they had that killer instinct when when you were down and you were hurting, they they put the bullet in you. Yeah. They really it was Mike Tyson. It was yeah. Mike Tyson. No, they we knocked threw the you right out. and you were done. 
Yeah, they knocked you out. And, um, you know, I think that's the, the number one thing that I'm going to be looking at in the early season beyond the individual contributors is that killer instinct. But the second thing uh, that I wanted to bring up, first one, uh, you know, being the hype and how they handle it. But the second one, of course, is going to be the injuries and more specifically the guard depth. If you are asking yourself, what are the weaknesses of the Dayton Flyers since we are hyping them up so much going into the season? Guard depth is one, two, and three. Kobe Brea dealing with an upper body injury. We don't really know the extent of it and probably won't for a couple more days. Malachi Smith is going to be out for the foreseeable future, at least the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, I'd love to have him back by Thanksgiving, but I haven't gotten an indication that that is going to be realistic at this point. And so Dane's going to have to manage it. Um, we're going to see Mongolian Mike night one. He's going to be next to Kobe Elvis night one. Um, I think Dayton has a lot of flexibility with the three, four, five. I just think they have a lot of guys that can play those roles and a lot of backups. You know, you talk about uh, Caleb Washington. Uh, you talk about Rich Amafile. You talk about Zimmy. You have Amzel, Blakeney, Tamani, Duran. Ty Baker hasn't even really gotten that much mention yet. Um, there's a lot of dudes on this team that can play those three, four, five roles, I think. And how Anthony Grant mixes and matches them is important. But with the guard depth, you pretty much have Mongolian Mike, Elvis, you got Brea, and you got Mally Smith. And right now, two of those guys are injured, which means you're up shit creek and the paddle's getting shorter. So I think that Dayton really does have to they have to be mindful that guard depth is going to be an issue if these injuries continue to linger. Having four guards is nice, um, but when you start the season with two of those guys being injured, it's officially a concern, Drew. And look, I might be reading too much into it, but also something to keep an eye on, Brady Ewell played 20 minutes in the preseason game. I was wondering he why might, that was. I was wondering he might why that be, was. You know, he might be getting some spot minutes here to start the season. Oh, no. Like, We're going to have another Christian Wilson now, situation. Look, now, look. Now, look. Christ. Now, this is this is out of necessity, and he's not going to play 20 minutes every night. But when you need to get, you know, uh, Kobe Brea or Kobe Elvis, excuse me, or Mike a quick breather, you know, he can come in and spell you. All you got to do is just literally not turn the ball over, do the right thing in the offense, and if you're wide open, make the shot. It's literally all you have to do. Play and, you know, guard your heart out because you got a couple guys down low that can help cover up for you. So, but I'm just telling you, I'm telling this to everybody now. You're getting people ready. If you see Brady Yule walk up to the scores table, don't be don't be surprised. And if you are surprised, that means you didn't listen to this show. You didn't listen. Because it might be happening and just get ready for it. That's all I'm going to say. And you know what? Maybe I am reading too much into it and it won't happen. But I'm yeah. just saying something to keep an eye on. I didn't want to bring it up on the show, but if I had anything, literally anything that stood out on the box score from the exhibition, it was why did a walk-on play 20 minutes? Um, now... Caleb Washington's suspended right now. Rich Amafile didn't play. Again, Brea didn't play. Mally can't play. So there were guys that uh, obviously are on the roster that could not play. I'll try to get some more information on that Caleb Washington suspension, but it sounds like the books, people. If you're not hearing a lot of information about why a guy is suspended, more often than not, it's the books. I'm not saying it 100% in this case. I'm just saying more often than not, that tends to be the situation. Drew, I wanted to wrap up the beginning of the show tonight before we get to our interview. Three things that you're looking for here in the early season. I kind of alluded to a couple of them here, but as far as individual contributors go and lineup, give me three things in the, the listeners, three things before we get to the interview, of what you're looking for night one, week one, and before Thanksgiving out of this team. Number one, top, top billing. Tour de force to Ron Holmes. Yeah, baby. He's getting a lot of hype behind him, you know, on a lot of like best players in college basketball lists. And I think he's going to come out and prove a lot of those lists correct. Um, this is as excited as I've been for a player from year one to two that they've played since Obi. Um, and going back even further, it's kind of hard to find another one that I'm more excited about than what Deron's going to do this year. So that's, that's obviously top billing. That's one everyone knows. Uh, for me, Number two, R.J. Blakeney. Let's have an honest discussion about R.J. Blakeney here for Let's. a second. Let's. What, what would you say the top end, like we're getting the best out of R.J. Blakeney. What would you say that looks like? Double-double more often than not. Okay. So 
Obviously, if you you said best case now, yeah, best, best case. case, like right, and you know, and obviously, if that if that's happening, well, you know, call off school, honey. We're going to the final four. <laughs> that's, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I'm really interested to see what RJ does this year because I think if he can be that top end, like just glue guy, defend, make your open shot, score, rebound, do all those things, I think it cleans up a lot of things that could possibly go wrong with this team. So I'm looking for RJ to be a little bit more of a factor this year than he was. You know, he had some great games. He also had some disappearing acts. Looking for a little more consistency with him this season. He's one I really got my eye on. And the three-point shooting of Tamani Kamara. Yeah. I bring this up because last year, he it is well-documented that he started dreadful. Yes. Awful. Now, dreadful. In that, in that time, I was like, man, his shot doesn't look that bad. And then I looked into the numbers, and they were that bad. And I was like, all right, were, he can't shoot bad. anymore. Yep. Then A-10 play started, and he turned into what? Probably one of the seven best three-point shooters in the conference. Uh, he was incredible. I think he was shooting 40% up at, there, at one point there. Like up there. So let's just get that from night one. If we get that from night one from him, and we get the the two-man game of him and Holmes with you know the, the outside perimeter guys, we can tread water until we get Mally back and, you know, however long Brea is going to be out. But with that collective right there, I think those are the three guys that I'm really keen on this year. And RJ especially. I think if RJ kind of is the barometer of how high or how low I'll get on Dayton this season. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But those are probably my top three. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you brought all three of those up because my top three are quite different. Um, number one for me, one, two, and three is Mongolian Mike. Uh, all I've heard from Jeff Goodman, from those who have watched practice, Brooks Hall, is that this dude can play. He's going to get minutes and he's going to be a factor on this team. Now, he's going to be more of a factor on this team because Malachi Smith is not uh, able to go night one. But... Um, I have heard enough about Mongolian Mike that I'm very excited about the prospect of this kid and what he can give us from night one. So I'm going to be watching that intently. Uh, number two, I guess I'm not entirely, uh, not entirely different, is Jerron Holmes, him taking that step up, him being the bucket getter that Obi was. And I don't mean he needs to be exactly like Obi, but what I mean is when Dayton needs two points, the ball goes to 15. And that was the way it was in 2020. And, you know, Tamani Kamara is a great piece, but what I think will be a very important part of this season is him being the Scottie Pippen to the Jordan, him being the sidekick to Robin to Batman. I don't think anybody is asking Tamani Kamara to be our leading scorer night in and night out. If he is, that's great. But I want him to have that secondary role to play off of Deron Holmes because, frankly, the way that this team is going to see the most success is establishing that Deron Holmes is a star. And when you need two points, you go down low to 15 to get them. Uh, the third thing is, uh, is how they handle, um, again, that I, I said it earlier and I'll allude to it again, is the killer instinct. Has this team learned from the mistakes of last year? Have they learned how to put teams away? Have they learned that when you get up on teams, you can't let them back into the game? And, um, and I guess I'll add a fourth one honorable mention is getting back to protecting the home floor. I think that we've gone through enough seasons now of clunkers at home since 2020 that, uh, you know, let, let's, let's get back to winning at home, to Dayton being a tough place to win, a tough place to play. You know, it's always been a loud building, but over the last two seasons, no one's necessarily afraid to come in and play at UD arena. And I want to get back to that. And, um, I guess part of that is you, fair listener. So let's get back to that. People being afraid to play in UD Arena and wearing red and being loud. Drew, anything else to add to the discussion before we take him to the interview? Just just really excited. Everybody, if you're going on Monday, get loud. And if you're coming on Friday, get even louder. Uh, hopefully you're at the pregame show. Uh, good time to be had there. And then, you know, the ponies from SMU rolling into town should be uh, should be a really, really fun week next week. You got it. Straight from the horse's mouth, he said it. We're getting over to the interview with Kai from Three Man Weave. After a short break, you're listening to Sully and Drew right here on Talking Out Loud. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud. 
in case you're wondering, still number one podcast in the Atlantic 10. And keeping with that theme, every year we do preview podcasts for the preseason before Dayton takes the floor for game number one this season, notwithstanding. So to finish our preseason coverage, last interview before the Flyers actually take the floor for basketball doing, we brought on one of the esteemed members of the three-man weave. He goes by Kai, and he joins us now to wrap up the preseason coverage. Kai, it's great to have you back on the show, man. I know it's been a full year. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to talk A-10 hoops. Yeah, are you uh, are you preseason coveraged out by now? Because I'm sure you and the guys started making preseason coverage like late summer. We're talking like August, right? Yes, preseason coverage out solely. I'm ready for some games, some some real basketball. We got a shit ton on Monday. Yeah. Um, and run run the listeners through because I'm sure that you know and I do not because I'm so singularly focused on our beloved Dayton Flyers. But Monday, if I'm not mistaken, is a very light slate of good games, but there's a couple that are decent. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Uh, in my mind, there are some decent games. I think uh, the collective would say no <laughs> because it's yeah. mostly, you know, mid-majors and low-major games that are the best uh, of the day. But there's 127 games, I think, for for D1 versus D1. Yep. Um, so a lot of basketball being played at the very least. Yeah, and ours is D1 versus D1, despite uh, you know what most of the listeners think here. Lindenwood, I think we've said it a couple of times on the show, if you're just now listening in for the first time. Uh, but this will actually be Lindenwood's very first game in Division One. So hats off to the, the Lindenwood somethings. Um, it'll be their yeah. first one. Yeah. Alliance. The Lions. Okay. I've been calling them St. Charles, Missouri, baby. Yeah, that's right. That's that's your stomping grounds. Um, going through to school there. So um, you know what's funny? Like I I try to do research of all the teams like preseason. And when the schedule came out, I was like, Lindenwood, like where the hell is Lindenwood? I never heard of that. And I, I usually pride myself on knowing all the schools and mascots fairly well. Well, the I bring the story up because the kicker is I uh, used to drive from Chicago to Lake of the Ozarks um, mm-hmm. every other month, and I have to drive right through St. Charles, Missouri. And of course, after I saw the Lindenwood University, I was on, uh, I think, 270 or 70, whichever one goes through St. Charles there. And sure enough, there was a sign, Lindenwood University, that I had driven past like 15 times and never noticed. Yeah, so, yeah, that's the one. It, it was a uh, NAI program, NAIA program for like recent, recently, then D2 and then D1. It really shot up quickly. You know, I feel like that is um, becoming more and more common now is like these small schools kind of seeing the light and being like, man, there's dollars to be made, you know, even if it's incrementally, because, man, I mean, you can speak to this, Kai. You make the NCAA tournament once and it pays for your basketball program for like the next decade, right? Yeah, absolutely. And look at St. Peter's right now. They they still have momentum this year and hype around the school itself in addition to the basketball program. And they, you know, made one run in March and that's it, all it takes. Yeah, man, that's, that's all it takes. So uh, with the, the preseason coverage, we'll do a shameless plug for the Almanac. If you haven't seen or haven't been privy, uh, Field of 68 Network, um, which was founded by Rob Doster, formerly of NBC Sports, and Jeff Goodman, who's all over the place. I think he works for like nine different outlets at this point. <laughs> um, they founded Field of 68 Network a couple seasons ago. This season, uh, they decided to put out an entire preview of all the teams in Division One. Three hundred and sixty-eight, is it right? Sixty-three. Three sixty-three. Okay, I was pretty mm-hmm. close. Uh, the the boys of the Three Man Weave were contributors to that almanac, which you can still buy, previewing every single team in Division One for the very reasonable price of nineteen ninety-nine. Um, so we'll start there, Kai. How did you guys come up with that idea? Was it kind of a brainstorm thing, or um, was it you know a Slack channel where you're like, man, you would know, be really cool to just like write a preview about everything? I mean, what was the origins of of having the almanac? Yeah, well, the uh, the Weave Boys, we've been writing previews for you know the entirety of our site, so about seven years now, since 2015. Uh, we never got paid for it. It was free, and we'd always do every single team in the country because, frankly, it wasn't really out there in detailed sense. You know, the low majors always get ignored in those Athlon, Lindy's type of previews, right? Yep. Get like one paragraph and move on. Uh, so we set out to try to do them all in detail, and... Uh, Kind of got tired of not making any money off of it. And uh, just so happened, Field of 68 was thinking the same thing, to enter a preview magazine into the the atmosphere. And luckily enough, they contacted us to help, as well as Heat Check, as well as Verbal Commits. So uh, a big collaborative effort. And uh, you hyped it up very well. I, I, I would highly suggest 
checking it out if you're a college basketball uh, freak or even a casual fan. And that's what we're all about here is shameless plugs. Um, you know, everybody that comes onto the program needs to have something to sell at this point. And I think that's kind of where we're headed as content creators in college basketball is that there was definitely this let's let's go back in the Wayback Machine like 10 years ago. There were a lot of content creators that were on sites with people that got underpaid. Um, let's use like SB Nation for an example, right? Mm -hmm. Their kind of business model was they're going to go out. I guess this is more for listeners education than us. We kind of know this stuff already. Sorry, people. But the, um, you know, the SB Nations of the world would go out and try to find independent creators and then pay them like per article that they would get instead of like per clicks or per engagement. So even if you're really good at your job, you're getting paid as much as somebody that's really crappy at their job. So people started to open their eyes to that. And then we started to get the independent content creation, which was sparked in in part because people like myself and Drew and yourself could grab a microphone, they could record, and then software was making it easier and easier to put out podcasts like this to the masses. So it was almost like simultaneous where content creators were realizing, hey, wait a second, we're getting paid shit. And then at that same time, it was like, well, it is getting easier to just put out our own content. Now, obviously, I think you guys have seen like the struggles of doing the whole website. Like a podcast is one thing because we can record it and get it out, generally speaking, in like three hours or less. But I have to imagine, you know, for you guys that the hardest part is running the website and, and keeping it up to date. And that's what kind of makes the full time job, right? Yeah, and the website's kind of gone by the wayside, if we're being honest. <laughs> we, it does. It's a lot of work. I mean, we did the same thing yeah. here. We had a website. It doesn't exist anymore because it's a lot of fucking work. Yeah, it basically just got to us. Uh, it helped us get to a point where we were getting offers for other stuff, like doing shows and writing for platforms that would actually pay us. Um, you know, still there, still a good thing to look back on. But yeah, we do kind of ignore it probably more than we should. Yeah. And um, so for, for you guys, uh, I guess for you specifically going back to the Almanac, um, again, you can buy for $19.99, the very reasonable price, go online at Three Men Weave to find that link now. Um, what, what was the uh, the conferences that you covered? Um, obviously, you're on this podcast, you had the A10, but what else did you write in the uh, in the Almanac for conferences? Yeah, the A10, the Missouri Valley, uh, the A-Sun, and the Summit were my leagues. You love the A-Sun, if I'm not mistaken. I like the A-Sun. I, I didn't know I would like it as much as I did until I dove into it this year. It's a good league. It's a yeah. good league this season. Yeah, there you go. That's what I like to hear. Uh, best and worst parts about writing the Almanac. Give us the uh, the best part first. Best part was getting to talk to all the coaches um, that, that I interviewed for uh, the Almanac. So 51 coaches I talked to and normally wouldn't have that type of access if I was just trying to do it on my own. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sure some would pick up the phone. Uh, but that was definitely the coolest part. The worst part was scheduling all those calls and trying to chase down coaches. So it was oh, kind yeah. of a double-edged sword there. Um, but no, that that was really cool to get the insight. Um, you know, we we were guessing basically for the last seven years and to hear stuff from the horse's mouth, so to speak, just made it such a more enjoyable process. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I, I get into that discussion a lot um, about... People ask me, why don't you go to the press conferences, talk to Anthony Grant? And I say, well, our show kind of exists aside from that. And that's kind of where we like to be is the fans perspective. We like to be an arm's length away because I'm sure you can appreciate now when you're an independent contributor and you're an arm's length away, you can basically say whatever the hell you want within right. reason. And I do kind of I do toe that line still. But once you get on the other side of the fence, once you're going to the press conferences, once you're making relationships with coaches and teams, you can't say this team played like shit last night. You would say, Hey, they probably want this game back. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Do, do you kind of see how you guys are evolving now from, Hey, we're independent content creators to, Hey, we're on the other side of the fence. Now we have a different role to play. So I guess my question is, or I guess what you're laying out for listeners is like how that evolves and changes. And like, you know, now that you have that access, have you seen how your coverage of the game has changed? No, I, I have a higher appreciation for guys like Jeff Goodman, for instance, that mm -hmm. I understand what it's like to, be, to have to toe a line now. Um, you know, I, I, we still try to be really honest. We're probably less um, mean, so to speak, in, in our <laughs> coach critiques. You know, our previous previews on the site, you can see we really tear teams up that are just bad. And, you know, talking to these coaches and low majors now, you can't really say that. 
if you want to continue a relationship with them. In the A10, so I went to school with Kim English. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Kim English at Mizzou. Uh, and <laughs> these are well your tweets. You're talking shit. Yes, I'm <laughs> sure I have. And I had to talk to him this summer for the Almanac. And, um, you know, nice enough guy. But it, it's just kind of funny where had I not been doing this Almanac preview style, I probably would um, hold the same opinion and probably publicly too. Yeah. And um, I, I'm pretty well spoken for, in my opinion, of Kim English coach. Um, you know, I just I think it's a tough job at George Mason. And I don't think a guy in his first head coaching job is the one that's going to, like, take them to the promised land. Um, obviously, being an opinion haver, um, you know, I'm, I'm entitled to that opinion and to be wrong down the road. And, and it might be. Uh, that's just kind of like how I see it today. But I don't know. You know, I, I had this discussion a lot on the podcast is that if you want to talk some shit and be an independent content creator, that's great. But mm-hmm. you're not going to do that when you're at a press conference. Like no one's actually going to do that. And no, you and, have to have some major balls to do that. So to someone's face in a press yeah, conference, right? And, and you're going to get thrown out anyway, and you're yes. not going to be asked back. <laughs> yeah, and you like, upset the ecosystem. Like yes. you're just upsetting the ecosystem at that point. Yeah, media credentials, goodbye. Uh, I tried to get media credentials for USC two or three years ago, uh, and the guy read our USC preview where Matt was very unkind to Andy Enfield, and he denied our credentials. Um, so even though the place was empty, including press row, I still went to the game. Uh, we were denied credentials for that. So, yeah, you, de- you can definitely see how that uh, affects it. Well, you talk to all these coaches, and you know you get all this access. Uh, my question for you is, who was a coach that you talked to that kind of surprised you with how like he talked about his team? And then mm-hmm. who was also, who was the coach where you're like, yeah, that was exactly what I expected. A10 specific or, or around the country? Uh, either or your choice, dealer's choice. Yeah. All right. So I'll go around the country because I think you guys are familiar with Pat Chambers. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Pat Chambers used to be at Penn state. No longer there. Yeah. Now yeah. Florida Gulf coast. Awesome guy. Yeah. I was shocked. I, I, you know, he has a reputation in the media um, for maybe for good reason, you know, don't want to dive into that, but super nice guy. One of my easiest conversations, just flowing, uh, super easy. Um, in terms of the a 10, I'm trying to think who was, I mean, Frank Martin was hilarious. I kind of expected that. I think he was going through like the steak and shake drive through when I was talking to him. (laughs) Incredibly Uh, on brand. Yes. Very on brand for him. Uh, it really, everyone in the a 10 was a, was a joy to talk to. I mean, Drew Valentine's basically my age. That was easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really didn't have any negative experiences, I would say. Yeah, and that was going to be my follow-up, is that the second part of the response I always give people when they say, hey, why don't you go sit in the press conferences and blah, 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 is like, well, the quotes I'm going to get from Anthony Grant like night to night are really not going to move the needle or be anything where you're like, whoa, he said what? <laughs> so I guess the the question that I come down to, I've never found it valuable for me myself, like interviewing the players and the coaches. It's good for the fans. And sometimes they give you like little nuggets, but that's truly what the media is for. And I think we're kind of like that step away, that secondary media. But uh, did you guys find that it was tough to get good material out of the coaches or was it more just kind of like, Hey, let's have a conversation and what comes, what comes? Uh, yeah, I would say there's a little bit of both, right? Some coaches were stick to coach speak generalities. It was kind of clear that, you know, they were kind of giving me BS. Yeah. Some coaches were really cool. They pulled back the cover and they said, Hey, don't write this, but blank, blank, blank. We suck. Ha ha. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's going to be a tough uh, year. Yeah. A lot of the younger coaches were more open, which shouldn't really come as a surprise, right? They were more casual, especially the guys who just took their first coaching job. A couple of guys in the Valley were super open and nice about it. Um, but the old guard, you know, the more tenured coaches, those were the ones that, bit, that were a little bit more guarded. Um, like I will Archie say Fran Dumpy was actually a pretty enjoyable conversation, which I was surprised about. Um, I thought he'd be a little bit, you know, uh, he is quite old, but he was uh, actually a great guy to talk to. He was breaking very nice. news. Fran Dunphy, old. So, yeah. so you, you talk about you talk about getting that coach speak. What what of the coach speak is your least favorite? Like this coach says this line, and you just got to go. Oh, all right, and then we're moving on. Yeah, because you I guys mean, do some of that too. You'll be like, I oh, love sure. this guy. I love this team. <laughs> I love when you guys do that. It cracks me up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, the whole cult- culture thing, right? And playing hard. Yeah. You know, every team plays hard. Every team has an amazing culture. Uh, that's that's ubiquitous. That's everywhere. 
and and every coach wants to play fast. They want to play up tempo. I love the coaches. I think I had talked to maybe two or three coaches that said, you know, we're slowing it down or, or we control the tempo. That's our game. And I really just appreciated that honesty and like, thank you. That's actually something good because um, it's really hard to believe a coach when they say they want to go up tempo, but they've played at like the 300th pace in the country every single year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess that's why I, I probably wouldn't be suited to like interview every coach in the country because I'd be like, oh, you you are going to go up tempo, huh? Well, the last eight years of Ken Palm data right. say otherwise, sir. <laughs> and, and then he's like, all right, let's, like- let's wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're out of here. But um, yeah, points well taken. And um, I think that was a good place to start the conversation. And again, if you want to go check out the Almanac 1999, you can check it out at the Field of 68 Network. Or uh, you can buy it on three three man weave website, if I'm not mistaken, right? There is a link at the top of the page. Yes, three man weave.com. Correct. There you go. Shameless plug uh, right there. So uh, you're obviously on the show tonight, specifically. You know, you're our pal, but because you did the the A10 preview, um, so let's start there. What'd you learn about the A10? I, I guess you have been covering the conference or. Um, had been a step away from the conference, or you've done these conference previews for a number of years for listeners' sake. What'd you learn about the A10 this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I learned anything groundbreaking. Um, what I do think is it's going to be really good, really competitive. Um, I would say teams one through maybe cut it off at nine or 10 could finish in a lot of different orders. I think there's a, a clear top three, Dayton, SLU, VCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty hard to deny. Uh, and then the next like four through nine teams, four through 10, you can probably put them in any order based on a combination of either talent coaching or both. And I'd probably believe you. So it's a pretty wide open league. That's usually the case, I suppose. Um, but I think it's a league that's on the rise still. I think it's getting better and better. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Um, I would say I, I agree with you in that the A-10 is on the rise for the top half. But unfortunately, that top half of the conference is separating itself further and further every single year from the bottom half. Yeah, um, yeah it's just I haven't seen tangible improvement enough in the cultures or the um, institutions and their support of the basketball programs and say, uh, LaSalle in, in Fordham, even Duquesne, who has put a huge injection of money into their athletic department for facilities, they're still not really going to be up to snuff as far as A-10 programs are concerned. Pittsburgh is a tough basketball market to recruit into. Um, in LaSalle, they have a different problem. They're a tough program to recruit into because there's four better ones in their own city. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, Fordham's the exact same way. I mean, there's got to be, what, eight programs at least in New York City that are going to be a better fit for most kids than Fordham. Um, So I talked about it with Larry last week. The A-10's in a very precarious position because I think they are very poised to become an elite basketball conference, like just basketball conference, that would compete with the Big East every year if they were to downsize and go down to like eight or ten teams. Because if the A-10 went down to eight or 10 teams, if they were to downsize like I'm proposing, then you wouldn't have to fit in games on the schedule against uh, Fordham at 200, against uh, 190 GW. And so by process of elimination or just by the circumstance that would be created, you would have more strong games and there would be more of them and there would be less nights off because I think we can all agree here at Drew, you know, you can kind of jump in on this if you'd like, is that in the Big East, even if you're playing DePaul, you're going to get a good game every night. That's really not going to hurt you. I mean, the worst game you can get in the Big East, generally speaking, is a Q3. And I think like we're actually pretty close to the A-10 being there if they were to downsize. But like as it sits today, I think the conference does itself more. um, They they do themselves like more of a detriment than uh, an addition by having like all these teams at the bottom. But I think that's like the the discussion we keep having is that they're not going to kick programs out of the A-10 either. You know what I mean? It it only feels like a wasted, a wasted discussion, even though it's probably the most realistic place to go to strengthen the basketball conference. Right. Yeah. And it seems like everyone's trying to, you know, expand right. in these conference realignments, which Mm -hmm. I hate, I hate every, all this, all these interconference, you know, changing. Um, But yeah, if the A-10 was 10 teams, like the name uh, suggests, 
it would definitely be a better basketball league. If Fordham went back to, were they in the NEC before they joined the A10 uh, way back when? Yes, I believe that's true. Something yes. like that. No, they and were in uh, they were in the Metro Atlantic. Yeah. Oh, the Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Mac. They're more suited for that league, anyways, right? Hundred percent. From a, from a facilities program, I think LaSalle and GW fit into the, that. Yeah, as well. absolutely. Um, so I agree. I agree. If there were ten teams in this league, it would make it stronger. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's like what I think Dayton fans complain about it a lot. Like, well, we got to move to the Big East, and it's like, well. If we did have a stronger A-10 conference, it might change a lot of minds. You know, if you had 10 teams and the worst one going into the year was like Archie Miller's Rhode Island, I mean, that would really change the landscape of the conference. And it would strengthen recruiting pretty much across the board because you could say, hey, every night against the other nine teams, you're going to have a big game. It's going to be on national TV. Um, You know, the A-10 doesn't have those deals in place, but there's a lot of moving and shaking that's going to happen with these conferences when TV deals are up. And I, I wish the Big East would, you know, strike some deal with the A-10 and, you know, they could have games to play against each other. But I know that that ship is like long sailed. And it's, yeah, I, I think the Big East has kind of settled now to be such um, a conference that is far and above the A-10 that they don't really need to look down anymore. Um, They're more interested in, you know, getting their programs like Villanova to play Gonzaga or, you know, go play the Big Ten or uh, the Big East. What is their challenge now? They play with the the Big Ten and the Big 12. Is that right? Uh, Big 12 sounds right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, So I believe it's the Big 12. Yeah. So they don't have to like look down to to get to the A-10 here. So um, keeping with that train of thought, A-10 preview is kind of what we're here to do, even though I don't belabor it. Um, it, Somebody nailed you down right now. How many bids do you think the A-10 are going to come out with this year? So I I thought I was saying four on different podcasts, but I think it's going to be three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's our thing. VCU. Yeah, I, four could happen for sure. Loyola is right there, in my opinion, uh, as the fourth team. And you could see some other teams jumping up there, but um, I, I think it is three currently. It's my opinion that Loyola is going to significantly struggle with the jump to the A-10. What say you on that? And walk through kind of like what's, necessary when you make a jump culture wise, team wise on the court, whatever from a conference like Missouri Valley to the a 10. I would say they're not going to struggle because I, I think Missouri Valley is a lot better conference than people think. Now the a 10 is better for sure, yeah. but look at the teams in that conference last year and have come from it in the past, right? The Creighton's, the Wichita States, Loyola was legit team last year they're a top 30 team in the country and it doesn't really matter what conference you're in they were really really good almost beat michigan state you know they won against some other power conferences but or power conference teams rather and they have a really good coach and drew valentine so i yeah. think he keeps that momentum going and i think they'll handle themselves you know pretty respectively respectively in in the a10 um they have the talent they have the defensive sort of system mindset that valentine's instilled from porter moser um, so yeah, going forward, I think they're going to be fine. And being in Chicago doesn't hurt either. No. And you get to see more a 10 games being, being, in I, I'm, I'm actually really excited about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be going to a lot of Loyola games this year. Yeah. I feel like Chicago's kind of underserved in that regard is like you, you have Northwestern and DePaul, but they're like kind yeah, of the yeah. same team in, in different conferences, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. Like Chicago just kind of gets left to the wayside there as far as the basketball market goes. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. New IC, you know, no one's going to UIC games. I'm sure not. No, Red, Red Chicago State. Yeah. Chicago State. <laughs> I'm definitely not <laughs> going great, to Chicago. Some great State. ball in the city. Some great ball in the city of Chicago. Uh so I I just have one more thing to ask. Uh you talked about that like second tier of team in the A ten, the UMass's, George Mason's, Richmond's. Mm-hmm. If there was one team in the A ten from that group that you think can play themselves into that top four discussion, who would you put your money on? Yeah, I've probably changed my mind a hundred times in this. Um, I guess Davidson, just from a I, I don't think standpoint. benefit of the doubt. Yes, yeah. pedigree. I don't benefit of the doubt. I don't think Matt McKillop is going to change basically anything from Bob. He was on the bench there for what fifteen years, and he played for him. Um, so I trust him the most. However, George Mason has a ton of talent. I think top four guys in their team can stand up with anybody in the league. And then UMass is really intriguing to me because, hey, they have a really good coach now, and they also have a lot of good talent. So I think they are a sleeper 
um, that could crack the top four potentially. You better be careful because we don't tolerate UMass hyperbole on this on this podcast. Usually, I am <laughs> I'm I'm watering down the UMass hype because I know the fans <laughs> on Twitter. They think they're the best team every year. I remember, I remember the Trey Mitchell years in the in before. What is the that. Trey Mitchell year? <laughs> you mean year? year yeah, singular yeah, two, year. He played for two, right? I think he just played for I one. I thought he left after his freshman year. Was it just one year? Yeah, it felt yeah. like two years. I think. Uh, oh, he played for he played for two. Did he? Two. Okay, all right. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah. I completely missed Trey Mitchell year. However long it was, year, it felt longer to us. Believe me. Yeah, I, and Matt McCall, yeah, not a good coach. My but guy, Mark, I still believe in him, man. I still believe in him. Yeah, you know, I did. I really thought I really thought he was going to be the dude for UMass when he got that job. I really liked him at Chatt- it was Chattanooga, right? Yeah, I liked him at Chattanooga till that weird thing happened with the locker room. He seemed to kind of lose it. Yeah, and that, that didn't that didn't make it across my desk. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, so that's, things are starting to make some sense. It, so. it was strange. We still say. have no idea what happened, but he took over for Will Wade at, at Chattanooga. Yeah. Had an awesome first year, right? And then the second year. There are all these reports about the locker room kind of shifting. They were supposed to win the league. They didn't. And then he got the UMass job. Rest is history. But yeah, that one kind of, he kind of cooled on me after that. You know, I, wrapping up with Kai from Three Man Weave here on Talking Out Loud. And thanks for sticking around with us all the way to the end of the hour. Um, that brings up a really good uh, point to kind of end conversation. You know, I, I had a really good story to bring this full circle about our press conference thing earlier. Um, when I was at the A-10 tournament, I actually did go to the press conferences there because I got credentialed. And after Dayton beat UMass, it was uh, his last game and he knew it and all that. You know, I asked him a question about their game preparation for Dayton. And he gave me one of those thorough, thoughtful responses that I have ever received from a coach. And I really respected that. You know, as a guy on the way out, he was very transparent about like, Hey, we tried to take Malachi Smith out of the game. You know, we want to get the ball out of his hands. We want to minimize the touches that Duran had. And there was a litany of other things that he described. But I could tell why he's moved up in the college ranks and why he was so highly regarded to get the UMass job to begin with. Because you could see that he gets it, even though his um, his on-the-court coaching left something to be desired. And that's, you know, why he's no longer there. Point I wanted to bring up to finish our discussion here, Kai, is that in the A-10, um, I think a lot of programs go back and forth on whether it's best to have a tried and true respected coach to bring in who is uh, tenured. And, you know, now that trend has gone backwards, right? Because um, Archie Miller got hired, Fran Dunphy got hired at LaSalle, Frank Martin, Anthony Grant here at Dayton even. And the conventional wisdom for a lot of fans at Dayton and around the A-10 is that having an up-and-comer coach is probably better for the majority of programs because that coach is always going to be hungry to push the program forward because he himself Mm -hmm. is looking for a better job. And that's, of course, what Archie Miller did at Dayton. He kind of used Dayton as a springboard, whether he'll admit it or not, to go to Indiana. Things didn't work out, obviously, but the ultimate goal was achieved at that time. Do you have an opinion one way or the other as to what you think is going to work better? Because we do kind of have a little bit of both. I mean, um, most of the coaches in the A-10 are tenured, but now you have Drew Valentine. You have, uh, is is it uh, Christian at um, George Washington? Uh, Caputo. Yeah, Caputo. Caputo, yeah, sorry. That, that's yeah. right, because the Christian already. Um, you, have, you have younger guys like Kim English at George, Wa- George Mason. So it's almost like we have younger guys now and we have older guys and we're kind of going to find out which one works better in the a 10 moving forward. But I was curious if you had an opinion one way or the other about what you think could work best in this conference. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If the young guy succeeds and he becomes a tenured coach and he becomes a good coach. So I, I would say for, for the programs that uh, have a history to them, you know, as a, as a strong basketball program, a Rhode Island, a UMass, bringing in an established tenured coach, I think is the right move versus bringing in a, an up and comer for yeah. a George Washington, for a Fordham. I think hiring no names is a good idea. Yeah. Um, get a potential, take a home run swing. Right. And, uh, and try to get a, a coach that's been on the bench of a really, really good coach in Caputo's case. He was coached under, or he coached under Larinaga at Miami and George Mason before that and take a swing on one of those guys and try to build your program knowing full well, of course he'll leave if he does a really great job. But uh, in the case of like a Rhode Island or a UMass, I think hiring a tenured guy um, is, is a better move. And if Dayton 
ever was in a situation where they, where they needed a new coach, I'd probably say the exact same thing about them. Yeah. And that's of course what we went out and did. I mean, you know, Anthony yeah. Grant had a lot of seasons under his belt and, you know, alumni and that's the direction that they went. So um, yeah, I just think it's, it's an interesting discussion and I think it's going to persist. And this year um, and in you know future years, we're going to get a really good sample size of like what works best. But of course, that is a sample set that is relevant uh, on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, wrapping up again with Kai from Three Man Weave, we have enjoyed the time immensely. And uh, tonight is um, uh, unlike, or sorry, uh, it's like every other night here on the podcast where we give final thoughts uh, to our guests, our esteemed guests that join this program. And you're no different, my friend. Do you have final thoughts for the A10N Dayton fans listening out there this week? I hope Malachi Smith gets healthy for you guys. Ah, thank you. That's my preach. Yeah, preach. Yeah, we do too. That is yeah. my uh, number one, number one hope for you guys because I'm excited to watch Dayton. Uh, I'm thinking about coming for a game. I am. You should. I'm trying to trying to finalize my my game schedules this year, but it's going to be a fun league. I'm always a fan of SLU, just being from St. Louis, so I like watching those games. And the Arch Baron Cup has gotten pretty heated recently. So excited for that one. It has. It's turned into a really good rivalry. Um, mm-hmm. you know, from the outside looking, for one that they tried to shoehorn in when I was in school, it's really come along. I'm way. saying, yeah. I'm saying, you, you know, it's pretty recent, right? The name, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that I happened when I was in school. I think it was okay. 2014 or 15. I want to oh, say wow. it was it's when really we debuted. It was when it debuted, and then it, the internet kind of caught fire of it. Kind of made it. We made it. We memed it so much it became a serious issue. <laughs> that's that's what happened. I love it. It's great. So yeah, that was going to be my question. Is you know, we make our internet jokes about the Arch Baron Cup and how serious it is and blah, blah, blah. What is the outside perception of the Dayton-St. Louis rivalry? I have to know. I I would bet most people have no idea that it's a rivalry. Or <laughs> well, I mean, like, probably like you, a person that's, like, very connected in college basketball, you talk to the media. I mean, is there, like, oh, Dayton and St. Louis are playing tonight? Or do people understand that it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing that we do? I don't think so, <laughs> because just just right after the Almanac, we were trying to pick the 68 games to watch this year, and uh, Slew Dayton came up, and I think might have even made the cut, but uh, it had to be explained to certain uh, prominent media members what what the rivalry was about. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's, it's funny. We'll, we'll end the show on this, but... Um, you know, Dayton and St. Louis started playing annually right around 2005, if memory serves. And just like anything else in sports, man, it it kind of started to bud because we had some really close competitive games against each other. And that in those first like six, seven years, um, there was just a, there was just a lot of back and forth, a lot of overtime games. There were some double overtime games. Um, and I remember like my freshman, sophomore year, we started to walk out of the arena after slew games and being like, man, this has turned into a, a nice little rivalry. And then, mm-hmm. of course, when Xavier left, Dayton kind of like didn't have a rival. VCU kind of filled that spot for a number of years because um, St. Louis was good and Dayton wasn't. And then St. Louis dropped off and Dayton was good. So they kind of missed each other for like a six-year window there. Mm-hmm. But now, like with the A-10 landscape kind of sh- changing, um, Dayton and St. Louis are very primed to be like the best programs moving forward with VCU. And so I think it it definitely um, it has like reignited like that these games should be marquee. You know, they're, we're the two biggest programs in the A-10. It really should be, um, you know, appointment television in the A-10. So at least it's catching on whether it's tongue or cheek, you know, I, I, you know tongue or cheek. <laughs> I don't care. You know, we just want it to catch on because, you know, we, yeah, for sure. We have our little slice of paradise over here. So. Um, that's going to do it for the show tonight here on talking out loud. We want to thank our guest Kai from three man. We for joining us and you, the listener for being around for all of our preseason coverage. This is our very last preseason episode before Dayton takes the floor against what I am being told is the Lindenwood lions on Monday, November 7th. Uh, I implore you when you get in the doors of UD arena to make some noise. And so I will take you out with that particular song by the beastie boys tonight. It's called make some noise by the beastie boys until that time on behalf of kai andrew i am sully and this is talking out loud where there are two rules tell them what they are drew wear red be loud that's it see you next week Sit off a sicko, just don't succeed, I'll take my coffee, please.
Yes, my own self. 